0: If I have to get out of here because there's a fire, it's not going to happen. I'm, <laughs> I'm completely tangled up.
1: Just just throw the paper at the fire and that will help, I think. That's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah that, that works. Yeah, I'll try that.
1: listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Newnham and my co-host Henry Salmon. Welcome to I Might Be Wrong. I have got Henry with me. How are you doing, Henry?
0: Hi, Rich. Life's good. I've got another interesting band to talk about.
1: Good. I'm a little tired today because it is the day after the first round of NFL games and I like my American football. Picked it up when I was out in the States and haven't been able to shake it.
0: How could they do that and just screen them at ridiculous times in the night? They should um, play to a European audience. Yeah, That would sell the game more.
1: There have been quite a few Europeans who don't really understand that it's a bit bigger in the States than it is here, who have been like, <laughs> why isn't it on earlier in the day? <laughs> I, I quite like it because it means that now that the Premier League's back as well, if I have a day like I did yesterday where I don't really want to leave the sofa, I can start watching particularly at the moment where we've got a crossover with motorsport so i can start my day with motor gp i can then watch the formula one and or a bit of football i can watch some cricket and then at the end of the premier league the nfl is already starting to kick off so it's basically just a day of sport it's probably the reason why i don't have a girlfriend
0: it's like the father john misty song total entertainment forever it's you're just <laughs> constantly entertained now you don't need anything yeah. else in your life apart from just a, the, a connection to the internet or the, or the screen
1: i think i do have even more appreciation for it now having had that period in lockdown where we just we just didn't know when sport was coming back we didn't know when it was going to happen
0: gotta have a sports sports
1: sports ball (laughs) gotta enjoy some sports ball (laughs) exactly (laughs) cool well we should we should get onto the subject of the podcast because this is sort of one of our more cult offerings and one that a lot of people who listen to music now won't necessarily have heard of, but they were they were sort of quietly very big back when they were doing things, weren't they?
0: <laughs> I was thinking about how to describe them, and quietly big is a brilliant way of explaining um Grandaddy, who were the band, explaining where they got to. They're a bit of an interesting one, which is why it works quite well as a as a chat. And they started Started small, they're out of California. And they grew to be fairly big over here. But their main theme of their stories is kind of sadness, really. They've mm. they've they've been quite critically acclaimed, but never never made loads of money off it. The songs are sad. There's there's a kind of theme really, and it's and it's all it's all a bit downbeat, so um, it's definitely one to explore.
1: Yeah, and I don't know that I think sadness so much as wistfulness in their sound.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that, but the timing that it was all this stuff was done has a bearing. So let's go into the who they are, where they're from, when they started, yes. what kind of the styles they are. So
1: Before you do that, you should probably tell us which album we're talking about as well.
0: I'm talking about the absolute classic, probably the pinnacle mm-hmm. of Granddaddy's back catalog, which is The Software Slump, which yep. was released in 2000. But let's go back to the start. They started in 1992. The main man is Jason Lytle and he's really granddaddy. Mm-hmm. They were a five-piece, um, or they were a five-piece, we'll come on to that. But he started the band, he was a pro skater, and uh he ended up breaking a an ankle or a something in a skating fall, and his pro career ended, and he decided that he wanted to do something which had the same output as, as skating, the kind of the expression and all of the, the fun that you have with skating. He wanted that same kind of buzz. And so he started playing playing music and recording music. So he got together with a, with a bunch of guys. He started playing music and they tried to record an album. He started recording this, uh, one of their early albums called Under the Western Freeway. Mm-hmm. And it kind of took off. Um, it was this kind of cult album, which didn't do anything in the US, but over here got noticed. And... They managed to, to gain a bit of a following. The problem they had with the album was that they signed to a, a, a record label who didn't have any idea about being a record label. They were a new a new label. Right. And I think in one fell swoop, they managed to basically sign their careers away yeah. to this, this one guy. And, and from that point onwards, they've always been troubled with money and with licensing issues. So the software slump ended up going out on a UK label which we'll come on to in a second. But yeah, they started off as a cult band who Mm -hmm. didn't really start off in a a good direction.
1: Yeah, so they they definitely have that cult thing going on. And I think that, for me, is probably largely down to their sound. So explain, if you can, (laughs) what Granddaddy sound like.
0: So right from the start and their their first album, Under the Western Freeway, they've got this synth-filled... Fuzzy guitars, indie sounds to them, which is quite unique. Um, they've been influenced by Yellow uh, and a few other synth-based bands, and their music's quite slow. and It's weird because they they started off as a skate band, and if you listen to some of their interviews, they've been influenced by some metal bands, so you'd expect them to be almost punk, right? But all of their sound is quiet, synth-filled bittersweet songs and
1: it's all really beautiful though isn't it
0: it's stunning and you can quite easily lo- lose yourself into an album mm-hmm. the single off their first album am 180 yeah became huge and it was on 28 days later the film charlie brooker um in the uk charlie brooker's a i guess a critic and he had a tv series called Screenwipe, and am 180 featured um as the intro to to that for a bit so some of their songs, from an early point, got noticed quickly.
1: AM 180 is a great track. Doesn't it open the album? I think it's the album opener for that debut album.
0: It's either the opening track or it's the the second one, but it's pretty much how they've introduced themselves to the world.
1: Right. And it's this quirky, almost Casio keyboard sounding initial melody that comes in and then it all just comes in behind that. It's lovely.
0: Exactly. So off the back of that, they got pretty big pretty quickly and they got noticed. So they... Came over to the UK, they played the Reading Festival, critics started to notice them. And I don't know whether it was their issue with their US record label, but somehow they got picked up by V2 Records, so Virgin, Mm -hmm. who spotted them. And V2 were the ones that produced the software slump.
1: Okay. Okay. I think that's quite, or was at the time, quite a regular thing where a a band would have a UK label and then they'd have a US label if they made it in the US and vice versa. But I don't know that that always works very well because I I always feel like there's this conflict between the two, even though the the indie label in whichever country doesn't have any distribution abroad.
0: Yeah, it's weird. And I I really don't know how that works now, given the internet.
1: Yeah, you just release stuff into the ether and hope that people listen.
0: Yeah, so they released... The software slump. And this album's a little bit special. So if you look at the the artwork, you've got a bunch of keyboard letters arranged on the front of the album and then this vista, this kind of American pastoral behind. And the whole point of the software slump, it was recorded at a really interesting time. So this was 2000. So you were get, seeing tech millionaires being made. It was kind of the internet bubble that was kicking off. Yeah. And it was almost as if everything in the press was... Everything's awesome. We're going to be saved by technology, but somehow nothing was getting better. And if you look at the inside the artwork, you see this like cowboy guy wandering along with a Casio keyboard under his arm. And it's kind of this we've got tech, but where's it taking us?
1: Well, it was an interesting moment as well because they would have been recording it in the late 90s with all of the background lurking thing of Y2K. Yeah. Which for those of you who are millennials or younger was a thing that was quite scary. We were going into the year 2000 and everyone thought that computers and the internet was just all going to die when it ticked over from 99 to 2000. Yeah.
0: Planes would fall out of the sky and all of that.
1: Which obviously didn't happen, but
0: that was it sort of
1: had this big cultural backdrop of, of that at the time.
0: Massively. And so, and it got noticed so in the UK, um, the independent as a, as a measure of where this sat, this album in their review, they said it's easily the equal of OK Computer. That's the kind of the benchmark of where the so- the reviews for the software slump came in. It was hugely critically acclaimed. They were, I guess, put in a bracket with Flaming Lips, Mercury Rev, who are also becoming really big in this mm. kind of alt-americana style.
1: It's funny because I have them sort of linked with athlete in terms of... I, I think of their sound as like sad athlete. <laughs> yeah. Because it's that same... It feels like it's almost been put together in a basement by a bunch of kids with cheap guitars and cheap keyboards, but they know what they're doing. Musically, it's really brilliant, but it's all on this kind of quirky, weird gear. And Athlete had that, at least their first album had that same sound, but Athlete were like happy and upbeat and and Granddaddy had a bit more perspective on the world and this, like you say, sadness and wistfulness going on.
0: It's funny you mention that because the software slump was recorded on equipment that they they bought from Best Buy and they had to give it all back. So they didn't have <laughs> any money. So they literally picked it up, recorded the album, then gave everything back because they just couldn't afford anything. Wow. They almost did it off their own backs. And so it it really is a couple of guys, um, and, and I think a lot of the recording was just Jason Lytle himself. hmm So live they would all get together. But he's really the the brains behind it. And there's quite a sad quote. He said he recorded the whole thing alone um, in his boxer shorts while trying to call his coke dealer, and that's just the kind of, as you know, when you think about it, it makes sense. the The sound that it evokes is it's quite a kind of isolated sound in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, because it's it's sort of evocative of that loneliness. There's there's an element of like almost being out in big landscapes and nature that you get with a lot of those West Coast recordings where it's the same. I have this thing with like West Coast America and Iceland and the Scandinavian nations where people spend a lot of time driving through big empty landscapes and they're influenced by that as a sound. But normally in California, it's a much warmer, big sound. But this isn't. This is this is lonely and slightly worried about the world.
0: You raised another really interesting point. So after he recorded this and the band broke up, he moved to Montana in the states. Okay. And if you if you know Montana, you kind of kind of explains almost how how he thinks. I mean, there's a, a quote from him that says that on paper Montana looks like the best place in the world because you've got the forest and you've got the deserts and you've got the mountains and the oceans and all the stuff around you, but he says in reality it's all actually so far away you can't ever get to it so you've got these huge spaces but it's almost quite inaccessible so he almost moved to the place which almost fitted his character which is
1: mm. kind of interesting and very much the music in terms of style and i i love that about it so i did no research for this podcast which is why it's all on you but i did go and have a good listen to the software slump this afternoon and it reminded me how wonderful an album it is, but also as you say how easy it is to get lost in there because when he's simple he's dumb he's the pilot came on the second time and I'm listening to it and it gets like six minutes in and I'm like I love this song I need to make sure we talk about this song which one is it thinking I was like three quarters of the way through the album and realizing that actually it's come all the way back around already and I'm listening to it the second time around
0: well, it's quite a short album, but the opener is nine minutes long, and right. it's a brilliant way to start the album. So I I came across this, I think, on the front of a music magazine. Or do you remember back when music magazines used to sell CDs on the front of their covers? So it's part of the yep. they give you an offer and
1: the sampler CD for yeah, all the exactly. bands that they were going to talk about that that particular month.
0: Exactly, and so this sampler CD was in a, I don't know, it was in a stocking at Christmas or whatever, but on there was. Um, he's simple, he's dumb, he's the pilot. And it was completely out of place on this album because all of the the rest of it was indie 90s music. Mm-hmm. And stuck in the middle of these just kind of indie three-minute kind of forget-about-them songs from one-hit wonder bands, you've got this massive opus almost from from Grandaddy. And it's, it's another world of, of music. It's, it was completely mind-bending to me.
1: It's such such an incredible track and it, it does have a little bit more in common than i think people would think with paranoid android in that it takes you through a real journey so it's not nine minutes of the same stuff it has that slow acousticy intro and then takes a big breath at about a minute and a half in and then goes into an even more beautiful big epic thing
0: yeah and it finishes with the lyrics don't give in 2000 man and i i just love that it's this kind of little come on you can do this and i think the whole point is back in the 2000s when you've got the tech wreck in 2000 and you've got all sorts of uncertainties about the upcoming um, millennia and you've got this little almost computerized voice telling you not to give in you can do this it's a it's a great way to open an album
1: Oh and what a brave way to open an album as well like how many albums do you know that open with a nine minute epic like that like it just doesn't happen people want that big bang at the start of an album usually to suck you in and this isn't that at all but it's brilliant and wonderful
0: yeah and and it got huge the reception of this album was massive and probably off the back of this first song so Bowie was a big fan Elliot Smith sang he's simple he's done he's the pilot on tour with them so he came on and sang part of the almost like a duet so he did part of that so that's incredible yeah some huge names in music associating themselves with granddaddy off the back of this first record and you can kind of understand Mm -hmm. how jason lytle would be so pissed off if you're getting noticed by all these big big names but you just don't make any money off the back of it
1: Yeah, But that was the thing, right? I don't remember this being a huge selling album. It almost seemed to... It's that weird period in that there's a decade of bands being critically acclaimed and absolutely brilliant in the minds of... You get this cult following of these bands that you feel like these guys could be incredible. And you're on this cusp of internet era where Napster's around and you can get hold of more music than you've ever been able to get hold of but at the same time that means those bands aren't getting paid a lot of the time so they just don't make very much money and then and then disappear again
0: yeah exactly yeah and the album continues in a pretty similar vein it doesn't really change much it, it continues in this this vein i
1: was going to ask you what when you found this song did you then Immediately go out and buy the album. Was that was that uh, the kind of?
0: I think I immediately illegally downloaded it. But- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Um, borrowed it. Borrowed it. I immediately wanted to go and find this album. Basically,
1: mm-hmm. this album is one that you introduced me to because I remember you playing a bunch when we were in in halls at university and and just listening to it and be like, this is this is brilliant. I have never heard anything quite like it and I probably did the same although I do own a copy now I went and bought one <laughs> probably several years later when I actually had money
0: yeah I, I guilted myself into doing it I think at university it was when I picked up my my actual copy yeah because I kind of wanted to see the you know in inside the cd when you can look at all of the album art stuff that's, that's part of it yeah but yeah I missed that <laughs> but there are loads of stand that tracks I mean mm-hmm. underneath the weeping willow is just this super quiet piano filled song which i'm a I'm a fan of, um yeah. and then where do we go? The last two songs for me really just show what the album's all about. Minor at the dial of you is probably a slightly more less drifty dreamy track it's a little bit more like it's got a purpose, which I love, and then it drifts into so your Lame towards the sky, which is the very final final song in the album, and that's probably the well, what a way to close an album! It's this drifting synth-filled song, which um, ah, I'm I'm a huge fan, and it's it's quite difficult to to describe them in any other way. That they're just this kind of this synths, guitars, and it just it, they've just got a sound that is clearly their own.
1: Well, this is the track that I think is one of the ones that that sounds the most like Flaming Lips and Mercury Rev. And I don't mean that in a they're copying them way. I mean, just in terms of the the feel of it, like the Quietest Flaming lip stuff and Mercury Rev. And I love that stuff. Like the Mercury Rev's Deserter songs is absolutely one we're going to have to talk about at some point on this podcast. If anyone has never really listened to Grandaddy and you love those two bands or either of those two bands, go and listen to this track.
0: Yeah, exactly. So they, they released that and then they started touring and, um, they released a follow-up album called Sunday, which is really, really good as well. Mm-hmm. There's definitely tracks on there, which are well worth finding finding out, like El Camino's in the West and The Warming Sun are the two off there, which I'm a huge fan of.
1: See, I don't know that I've listened to that album at all, really. When did that come out?
0: 2003, and it's very similar. It's got a really similar style. I, I don't think sonically they've they really depart much it, really because it is just it's just a group of them just recording pretty much in a basement there, there isn't much to it the live mm-hmm. sound that you hear is is almost when the five piece get, got together most of the recording was was pretty much basement led i think
1: yeah i i want to drag you back to the software slump just just for a couple more tracks because i think there are others that are worth mentioning um what one in particular that you've ignored that i think should not be ignored is the crystal lake
0: i probably shouldn't have ignored that should i (laughs) yeah so so the crystal lake um is what kind of a couple of songs into the album it's yeah it's fourth song on the album it's more upbeat it's got almost the first time where you actually hear electric guitars start to come in and give it some extra energy Mm -hmm. and over the top of this you've got this kind of weird bleeps and kind of computational riffs flying around Uh, the, the crescendo of the song that live um is is a cracker but yeah it, it's definitely one of their more powerful songs yeah i think
1: possibly the extra energy in there is what i really find draws me to that song and it's funny because it does have that almost american or guitar start to it and then you get that kind of casio keyboard melody coming over the top of it it's like we're stamping our mark on this one.
0: Yeah. And it was their first single as well. So or at least the first single in the UK that was that was brought out. So I don't know if it ever got into the UK charts. It must have done, because they did get pretty big in the UK. But in the States they just never really found that following.
1: And the other one that I love is Hewlett's Daughter.
0: Yeah. That's another good one.
1: Yeah. Great weird, quirky lyrics as well.
0: It's quite and and his voice in Hewlett's Daughter is interesting as well. I mean he he sings in a kind of quite high pitched I pitched away and if you compare that voice to all of the other voices that were going on around in the in the indie kind of slightly nasal oasis type snarl yeah it's about as far away from that as you could get
1: yeah and i love late on in that song about three quarters of the way through it switches to a piano keyboard and guitar thing where they're all kind of interplaying with each other this beautiful melodies where it's like it's almost like a round but it, in a really clever way
0: yeah and then you've got the, the drums kicking in kind of trying to break the doors down right off the back of it, it yeah it, it's just like right it's almost from?
1: like that wake up moment that you get in there that's really wonderful
0: it's clever isn't it and without that the song would just drift and and yeah. it's interspersed with this like pretty fast drumming which just makes you realise you're back in the room
1: yeah it's great and, and that's the thing I don't think you ever you never get into this sort of uh everything's rubbish kind of thing where you're just a little bit bored by his downbeatness. Like there's always something there to bring it back to being more than just that. Yeah. And I don't even know how to describe that if but you know what I mean, right?
0: Yeah, well, it's funny you should say that. So one of the songs, Jed's other poem on the album. Mm-hmm there's a line in there which says i i try to sing it funny like beck but it's bringing me down and he kind of just hinting towards like i want to do the stuff that these these other guys are doing but actually i'm just kind of sad (laughs) (laughs) i think he has suffered with with depression and you know his best work is is, seems to kind of come out of this this sadness
1: i mean you mentioned his his story at the start in terms of being a promising pro skater and having that ripped away from him like I can understand why that would leave you in a depressed state
0: yeah exactly so yeah it's interesting that they ended up at Glastonbury in 2003
1: yeah (laughs) I remember
0: and if you read the interviews about their kind of their time in music people have said oh you know you must be really bummed because you did all this really acclaimed music and you've never really done well off the back of it but you listen to them give their interviews on Glastonbury they said oh this is a you know massive career highlight who else gets to play in the in the late afternoon and uh, uh they were super hyped like for the whole festival they were running around like lunatics apparently
1: brilliant shame we didn't see them.
0: yeah i know where were we
1: <laughs> i mean we we saw them on stage but just not 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 hanging out afterwards
0: yeah exactly they 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 got quite a, well they had quite an interesting look um because they were skaters they would skate around the backstage and they had big beards and um Uh, oh yeah
1: yeah. they were like not i mean not zz top length beards but like pretty huge long beard things going on
0: yeah exactly so um yeah hipster before it's time i think
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely and yeah it it does have a bit of that hipster indie sound to it which is unfair to them but it sort of has a bit of that and and also the whole thing there was a chunk of i think it's one of the things that was a little bit sad for granddaddy for me was that you had this slightly sneery group of hipsters who would be Grandaddy fans and sneer at anyone who didn't know who they were purely because they were a bit cult and a bit unknown and a bit critically acclaimed but not commercially famous
0: yeah yeah well fuck them um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm definitely not one of those
1: no absolutely so you mentioned their 2003 album And that's their last kind of release, really, isn't it?
0: So, yeah. So they they stopped. uh, They basically broke up in 2006. (sighs) I don't know whether... Some of their interviews, they they ran out of money. Some of it, they said they were burnt out from touring um, and, like, alcohol and whatever. But they did what a lot of bands do, and they just... They hit a natural end. Right. And then, I think after some time of thinking about it, they got back together. So in 2012... They reformed mm-hmm. and put out an album called Last Place. So in 2017, they released new work. And it seemed like it was the start of this new granddaddy era. And I was, I was really optimistic when they released this album. And, and I've listened to it and it's lovely. And there are some really good songs on it. But the tragedy in this one is in the same year, um, Kevin Garcia, who's one of the band members, died of a stroke. Oh, shit. And that just crushed them, I think. That's when the band stopped... Everything just finished. So off the back of this um, new album, and, and and yeah, there are some really wonderful songs. To call out a couple, "Where We Won't," which is the first song on the album, is great. "The Boat Is in the Barn" is this kind of wistful. Well, I mean the title says it all. Really, <laughs> it's uh, the boat's in the barn. There's, there's no more fun. It's some wonderful music on there, which probably didn't get noticed, and, and then they lost their bandmate.
1: Yeah, because I I actually did have a little bit of this um I listened to it when it came out because I remember being like, oh wait new granddaddy I thought they broke up years ago which obviously they did and and I I'm with you I really liked it there's there are a couple of I mean a couple of tracks I actually remember having had a flick through so Jed the Fourth is a lovely beautiful just easy melodic song just really really lovely again nothing nothing groundbreaking but just beautiful.
0: So that I thought that was it. I thought that was the complete end of the Granddaddy story. And I was going to record this with you as that being the end, but it's not the end. I have wonderful, wonderful news. Okay. That, so they're not only going to reissue <laughs> a 20th edition of um, The Software Slump, which, they are, which is coming out later this year, mm-hmm. but uh, Jason Lytle's decided to re-record the entire album with just him and a piano. And I'm quite interested in this. Wow. The first song of it that has dropped onto Spotify. It's called Jed's Other Poem. It's from the album. <laughs> he did say he recorded it totally on a, on this little wooden piano. Even he couldn't resist. Almost just at the end, these little synths start creeping in and <laughs> just really, really faint tones in the background. But this song pared down to just him and a piano is absolutely wonderful and slightly heartbreaking. So... I'm really excited because this, I'm not sure if all the songs will work like that, but it does work. And Very cool. go and give that song a listen. Um, if we were going to do a hidden track, I could say, go and put that one on the <laughs> hidden track because it's great. So some really, really interesting and positive news coming off the back of all this.
1: Cool. Well, that sounds very promising. And we will have to highlight that as and when that actually emerges as a, as a full album.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, so one to watch
1: so the other thing i said i did no research i did a little bit of research it does sound like he's done bits and pieces of collaborations with with other artists as well so there's like little bits and pieces where he's still working on things in the background
0: yeah and he's a musician he's clearly got he's got enough kudos in the industry to be able to just chip away and work with other artists like that Mm -hmm. so yeah which ones did you see
1: uh the one that i'd seen was an an interview with him where the interviewer asked him about an album with Midlake that's a, a live album and he said that it was it was a bit of an odd rumor that they're not really sure whether it would really happen and all this kind of stuff but it just sounds like you know if he's going out there and playing shows or playing with other people at their shows particularly someone like Midlake who I mean this interview is 2010 or 11, so it's later on in in Midlake's career so they'd have been pretty big at that point that's kind of cool.
0: I think they've done some work with another really American indie band called Early Mart who were kind of super under the radar so yeah, uh, he's a a pro musician so yeah, you're going to get collaborations popping up like that
1: So I guess the the two questions we always go on to, so first off how have they inspired your listening tastes uh, in terms of what you were listening to after
0: Granddaddy. Uh, They chilled me out a lot in terms of the indie vibe where you could get this kind of, ah, uh, this wonderful mix of guitar led band music. So not electronica, but you could still relax into it. They, they got me back into the flaming lips really, mm-hmm. which is a bit weird. So music that I ignored before, like, um, and also to a lesser extent, Mercury Rev, although I kind of knew about them beforehand, but but definitely a band like the Flaming Lips who are kind of on a similar, slightly weird, slightly alternative scene in the States who I just ignored the first time around. After Grandaddy, I got back into them and uh, yeah, in a big way. Nice. How about you? Have you you been influenced by them?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so. Um, They would have been one of the earliest examples of a band who were both indie and electronica in terms of the way they used different instruments because a lot of that keyboard sound does have a bit of electronica in there but it's more of a mix so bands like broken bells who came five six years later broken bells is the shins and danger mouse doing a kind of combined thing a lot of that is indie music but with all these layers of electronic keyboards and things like that. And so I don't know that I listened to that specifically because of Granddaddy, but it, they were a band who trailblazed a lot of that sort of sound.
0: Definitely. They've got a special place in my heart. And this one album kind of encapsulates the whole thing. So, yeah.
1: So second question then, have you seen them live? I know the answer to this, but our listeners don't. Well, they do because we've already talked about it.
0: <laughs> yes is the answer
1: yeah <laughs> have you only seen them live at glastonbury Is that the only time you saw them
0: yeah that was it um we did a pretty good effort um this i think it was late afternoon wasn't it mm-hmm. i think i think they they got a really good slot when the sun was just going down and it was a
1: perfect granddaddy weather
0: perfect granddaddy weather
1: because it was beautiful and sunny and i think yeah it looks like they're on on Sunday and I definitely remember seeing them because it was, we talked about this in the past. Saturday I was very sunburnt and very <laughs> grumpy. Yeah, yes. Sunday I was in a much, much better mood. The sun was still shining. It was a beautiful day. Late afternoon, as you say, weather for granddaddy was wonderful. And then we wandered from there round to Fida, who were also brilliant that yeah, day that's right but i think we caught fat boy slim playing on this tiny little pyramid thing halfway between uh, two stages
0: yeah he it was one of those weird pop-up stages which didn't yeah. really it, it probably had a name but yeah that's right he was he, he managed to attract a huge crowd in about zero time
1: well we walked around and there was hardly anyone watching and then as we sort of stopped and were like, this is really cool. Let's have a bit of a dance. Cause I think we probably had a couple of beers by that point. We kind of got on with it and there was a small crowd of maybe 20 or 30 people. And then it got bigger and bigger and big. Because I remember us being like, this is really good. This guy's really good. I wonder who he is. Oh my God, that's Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> I think it was some Radio 1 thing that they'd set up.
0: That's right. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't playing the classics. So you you couldn't instantly wreck. He didn't like play gangster tripping and then everyone piled over. I think he was doing something kind of a little bit different, which was probably why not many people just ran straight across to it
1: well he was playing his own stuff but he was mixing it in with other things but it was also i remember being very smug about this at the time because he'd played a set on the saturday night and we decided not to go because we went to see someone else instead i think we went to see rm and when he played his main dance tent set he did this like really really hardcore set and a lot of people that had seen his big bouncy big beat stuff were really upset and disappointed and then when he played on that little stage he did all of the like bouncy big beat stuff and it was the thing is it it wasn't on the lineup it wasn't signposted there was nothing to tell you that Fatboy Slim was going to be the guy on that stage and so it's literally if you just happen to wander past within earshot of this stuff and be like oh that sounds good and then wander over that you'd even know that he was there
0: yeah exactly
1: although i think that word spread very quickly and that's why we ended up with a big crowd but i love that about glastonbury it's like yeah no eh, fat boy stim's gonna play on that random little stage because he can
0: because he can and he and he probably wanted to as well so
1: yeah he's belting until we had to wander off to go and see feeder fun times that was such a great festival I was tired for so much of it, but it was just, it was just fantastic.
0: Yeah. So I, one of the highlights was, it must've been about, um, it was first thing in the morning and I'd got up and that night, the temperature dropped to at least minus five degrees. It must've been like, it was freezing, properly yep. cold. Um, <laughs> and I remember just emerging into this bright sunlight and and I was sitting there having a pot noodle or whatever, <laughs> whatever I decided to have for breakfast. And You were in a yellow tent, which seemed to be the kind of biggest sun trap ever. And by about 10 o'clock, the heat was kind of getting, it was hot sitting outside. And I think at some point you must have woken up and I'll never forget because there were about five, five, six of us all sitting outside and suddenly your tent started shaking. (laughs) We couldn't quite work out what was going on, but we knew you'd woken up. And then this kind of form was bashing around the inside of the tent. We couldn't work out. Well, we could work out. You you were stuck inside, inside the tent. I think you managed. You were stuck inside your sleeping bag as well as the tent. It wasn't that I was stuck. It, it was that I was
1: trying to shed as many things as possible as quickly as possible. Because
0: as the zip opened and this sleeping bag filled filled with a rich tumbled out onto <laughs> the grass in front of everyone. And you were kind of wriggling around <laughs> trying to trying to get out of the sleeping bag and out of the tent all in one go. It was, it was quite a sight for a lot of people who had a lot to drink the previous <laughs> night.
1: The thing was, I think that was the night after we'd done the latest shift that we needed to do. I think that was the Thursday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, because we did all three of our shifts before the festival really got going. I think we were done by two o'clock on the Friday afternoon yeah because we've been there since the Tuesday and the Thursday night we had to do a disabled field stewarding which was basically just sitting around a campfire making sure that if, <laughs> if someone had an issue we'd try and help them which is what 23 year olds we probably weren't qualified to do <laughs> any of that stuff hopelessly. but we were anyway but yeah and so we'd finished, I think we'd finished at like five in the morning or four in the morning, gone and found some food because we were starving, come back to the tents and gone to sleep at like five, five thirty in the morning. So we'd had almost no sleep and that I think I'd hoped that I'd be able to sleep until like 11 or 12, but at about eight 30, it just, like you say, was so unbearably hot already that, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever moved from being asleep to being outside a <laughs> tent wearing boxer shorts yeah, faster you, than I did that night
0: yeah you, you kind of came out like cannon shot it was quite impressive <laughs>
1: <laughs> that tent the yellow tent did easily a decade of festivals one or two a summer and it was the best choice because no one else gets yellow tents i don't I think they just sold them for like a year or two because i I rarely ever saw because obviously if you get a tent people at festivals will have the same tent. I almost never saw another one like that, which made it really easy to find when I was shit-faced in a field with a thousand tents. Yeah,
0: unlike my green and blue one, genius. (laughs) Where the hell's that gone?
1: Look for the yellow tent that's next to it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, but that granddaddy set was wonderful. I remember you just being a big grinning idiot for the entire set.
0: Yeah, and I was really excited about the noisier stuff because that's kind of who I was back then and AM 180 I was pinging around to but I think now I'd actually really like to go and see them play this the quieter stuff Mm -hmm. and just see how that would sound live because I I bet it would be good
1: you've just got to hope they do a solo or he does a solo tour of the re-releases
0: well you know what I think he might do and and there are still other band members floating around and I thought they were completely finished so as soon as he said he's re-recording new stuff and putting out a, a solo version. Then, yeah, I I hope they turn back up again because I'd, I'd get to see them.
1: Yep, I'll come with you. In fact, I would be entirely unsurprised if they decided they were going to do tours next summer and play some UK tours. They might be one that pops up on End of the Road's bill next year or the year after because End of the Road have a tendency to pull in bands like the Flaming Lips, like the Shins for their one or two big band opportunities
0: yeah that's not about chat actually so um yeah let's let's check it out
1: cool well that probably does us for this week thanks for bringing granddaddy to the table they are a, a wonderful wonderful listen and i really enjoy them i'm going to go back and have a have another listen to them for a while
0: me too and look out for the new stuff the kind of solo work because uh it should pr- sound pretty good
1: yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have a listen to that. I didn't notice that he'd got the piano stuff out, so I will, I will have a listen.
0: Check it out. Cool. Cheers, Henry. Cheers, Rich.
1: Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong. if you sound shit on this recording, you know why. (laughs) I only
0: got myself to blame.